How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. Time for another edition of Locked on NBA. We are going to be joined by Timberwolves play-by-play announcer Alan Morton. You can follow him on Twitter at at Wolves Radio. And today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek app and then use the promo code LOCKED to get $20 off. That's SeatGeek, the number one place to get your tickets. You conglomerate all of the different uh, ticket people out there, and you'll end up with the best price you can possibly find on any deal and know which is the best seats to get. Use the promo code LOCKED, and you get $20 back. I'll tell you more about SeatGeek. But now, a lot of things to talk about. The MVP vote is out. Steph Curry got it unanimous. We'll talk about the playoff series. We'll look toward the Wolves, uh, some comparisons to other young teams, great performances in the playoffs. But, Alan, before we start, yes, we need to know, so what do you believe in? What do I believe in? I think when it comes down to it, I believe in right over wrong, good over bad, good over evil. You know, it's just, I don't know, when you... There's just so many things. I mean, just turn on the news at any point, and it's it's depressing, really, is what it is. But, you know, just people trying to cheat the system or beat the system or, you know, I just, I just, I just, I believe in goodness. And, like, I think the majority of people do as well. And I just hope that, uh, I don't know, that, that people choose right over wrong. You know, it's just, it's just not that hard to kind of do what's right. And treat each other with respect, and I feel <laughs> the most like telling concept is you're having a hard time believing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's when you turn on the news and you look at every different <laughs> facet of our society, it's it's depressing. It really is because people aren't doing that. And whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, whether it's in the stock market, whether it's in real estate, it's just uh, you know there's the, sometimes it's hard to hard to believe in the fact that there's uh, good over evil. All right, we'll turn the focus now to the MVP voting <laughs> yes, and discuss who did things right and wrong. We were just chatting off the air, but I thought we might as well do it on. Uh, the MVP votes just came out. Steph Curry's the MVP, as he should be. We'll talk about last night, which was just insane. Um, but I didn't have a vote, and I'm actually glad I don't. You do have a vote. I mean, I, look, I, I find this impossible. I mean, I look at Brian Davis, Oklahoma City's TV voice, and he's got... Steph Curry first, Kevin Durant second, and Russell Westbrook third. Like, it's just too much pressure to have your name out there as a voter. And, like, even then, does Russell get pissed at him that he thinks Kevin's better than him? Right. Right. It's, it's really interesting. And then I, I mentioned that, you know, Anthony Davis has an awful lot riding on the, on the all-NBA first, second, or third team. I mean, he, he's got $20-plus million riding, I think, that because if he gets named to one of those teams, he's now – 
he's got that Derrick Rose rule going for him, and he can uh, up his contract by like twenty million dollars. So you know, and he missed a ton of games this year. So how do you, you know, all of a sudden people are now on the hook for this guy making twenty plus million dollars? Right, Matt Pinto, Oklahoma City Radio, went Durant to Westbrook four. Or excuse me, went Westbrook to Durant four. So is he a Westbrook guy? I mean, I just like I just think it's all. I mean, I understand why we have to. Well, actually, I don't really understand why the votes have to be public. I get why people like it, but I'm not sure it does anybody any good. And frankly, I'm really glad I don't have a vote. Yeah, it's really, it's, I think it's becoming more and more interesting, too. I mean, I, I think it's a good thing that they publish them in the sense that you want people to be accountable. You want, you know, if Steph Curry wasn't the un- first unanimous MVP, you'd like to see who uh, was the one who do- didn't vote for him. Um you know, and to hold that person accountable. But you're right; it does open Pandora's box, and it makes guys on the their your own team kind of look. Hey, where was I? Why why didn't you vote for me in this particular category? Alan Horton voted Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook, James, LeBron James, and Chris Paul as your five. By the way, I go Durant over Westbrook on that team. Yeah, I mean that that, that was the debate. I, I couldn't go both of them in my top five. I, I really think you you know you, you just have to. I think they can't be two of the top three most valuable players in the league if you're, you know, doing what what um, um, who did you say had the uh, had them two three Brian, Brian Brian Davis but yeah. I, and I kind of get it right like I mean well yeah I don't know I if just he, I decided to choose one and I went with Russ Westbrook and I wonder a little bit if if wouldn't it be better for the let's take Brian Davis and he might not like this very much and I don't I hope he doesn't get take this critically but. I like. I, I wonder if it was a anonymous ballot, would he vote the same? Like, I think that's fair, and I and I actually don't have any problem. I, I understand the dynamics of his job. Yeah. You know what? Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Chris Paul, two through six was the difference was was infinitesimal. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to put my guy there every time. I'm a, I would do yeah. it too. But I, yeah. you, you wonder, is that really good for the voting? Aren't you better off having it be anonymous, and then maybe you get a more true vote? Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, and I guess I mean, does, what really matters, too, is, is who finishes first, right? I mean, do we really – I mean, I guess it, your second and third place votes could add up to, to put you in first, but really it matters just who finishes first. And, and I, they got it right. Everybody voted for Curry. Right. Well, it's funny. Last night on Twitter, I, including others, were saying – Hey, if you didn't vote for it, you better show yourself now. Like, show it now. <laughs> nobody said anything, so we now know why. Uh, you, you actually got to call a game where Minnesota beat Golden State this year, uh, late yeah. in the run. Uh, but uh, people have asked me all year, like, calling Kobe's last game, was that the greatest? And my answer a little bit was, no, actually, calling four games involving Steph Curry and the Warriors was better. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah. what he does is just amazing. And last night, that's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And um, I probably, along with a large portion of the population, David, didn't see it. I, I was asleep at halftime. I mean, it was just past 11 o'clock Central Time, and I even missed um, Sean Livingston getting kicked out of that game late in the second quarter, so I missed that, I, and I fell asleep. I mean, what time did that game end East Coast? 2 o'clock. I, I mean, that's incredible on a Monday night. I just I don't know how you solve that problem. I would just like to see things pushed a little bit earlier. And I know that cuts off your early. I, I just I, I know all you know. TV doesn't want to cut into the local news or whatever it is on those stations. But you know it's you've got to find a way to. <laughs> you can't account for overtime. I know, but still, even without an overtime, that game ends, ends at one in the morning. Right on a Monday so, night. So they're tipping off the East Coast game at 
6 o'clock Mountain, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern? Is that the first game? I think so. Yeah, that's, that. you could move that up. Yeah, that's got to be a 7 o'clock East Coast right. start. So 4 o'clock West Coast. Yeah. Sorry, that sucks for you on the West Coast, but you really actually only care about the other game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I wonder why. Yeah. Um, and it seems as though that's a reasonable time to do it. Now, the problem on that is to, that assumes that you have Miami-Toronto. If you right. have central time zone East Coast team, which exists, right? There's yep. some, And suddenly they're tipping off at 6. Yeah. That's a problem. But you had that earlier in the playoffs because I think Toronto and um, it would have been a first-round series. So Toronto had a 6 o'clock game and, and the other game was Indiana. Now do they play each other? I'm I don't even know what time zone Indiana is anymore because they don't they like half the state's one and half the state's the other. I don't know. Arizona is the one that gets me because you go there middle right. of the year and you have no idea what right. time it is. Right, right. Thank God for cell phones that switch. <laughs> I know. But yet your computer, my laptop does not switch. So <laughs> I get all the time confused by that. Just don't don't miss the bus and have to come on an Uber. It's, right. You know. Yes. Uh, all right. So from Steph's, when you're, as an announcer's called Steph, I mean, you missed last night, but it was vintage. I'm sure you've seen the highlights at this point. Yeah. What's it? I mean, what do you think we're seeing? I mean, unanimous MVP. I've got all my metrics that basically say he's the most dominant offensive player we've ever seen in the history of the game. Even go to Chamberlain's great seasons, Steph's use of points per possession is better than Chamberlain ever had. Yeah, it's really incredible. I mean, it's just amazing, and I think you saw a glimpse of it last night when he came off the bench for the first time since 2012, and you saw how the Warriors played when he came on the floor. It, it changed the game, and he wasn't even hitting a shot at that point, but it just it, it puts everybody back in their roles. It gives them a confidence. They started playing better basketball at that point. He just it, it's, it's incredible the way he elevates not only himself and the numbers he puts up, but the the way the team plays around him. I mean, they're just a juggernaut when they've got everybody at full strength. And it, I think it's still just amazing, David, when you watch him. There's just, even watching him four times a year and calling games, uh, you, you just can't, I can't wrap my head around the fact that you literally have to guard him when he steps inside of midcourt. And in high screen roll, I mean, he's just he's just got incredible ability to create for himself from a range that nobody else can. I mean, his percentage on pull-up threes is just, it's its out of this world. It's incredible. You know, he hit a half-court shot against us. And what was interesting to me is when I went back and listened to my call, is I called it the same way I would have called an 18-foot jump shot. Right. And okay. Like, plenty of times, I hate to admit this as an announcer, the buzzer shot from three-quarters court is like, you know, Chris Paul launches, it's no good, we'll end the quarter, and we'll come back with more as the Jazz three right. by three over the Clippers right. at the end of one, right? Like, you yeah. started the out cue. On that yes. one, Steph had it, and my call was, Steph, crossover, steps by the screen from half court, got it! Like, it was the exact yeah. same way I would have called an 18-footer. Right, right. It's incredible. And he's just, uh, it, it, he just gets it off so quick. I think he had one at the end of the first quarter last night that I just, what was not? Uh, I was surprised it didn't even hit the rim. I, I just chalked that up to being a little bit rusty. Otherwise, I thought it was a pretty clean look for him from three quarter court. <laughs> I was surprised it didn't even hit the iron. If you took this Warriors team, Son Steph, 
and the great Bulls team, Sans Jordan. Who are you taking? Come back with more with Alan in just a second, but let me talk to you about SeatGeek, the sponsor of today's program. We really appreciate all of you that have gone to the settings tab, added the promo code LOCKED after you've used your SeatGeek app for your first purchase, and I'm sure you were excited when you got your $20 back. If you haven't done so, here's why you should. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets. Why? Because of three reasons. They pull all the tickets available from other sites into one place, so you save time and never miss a deal. It can be for anything. My parents are going to see Hamilton, as I mentioned last time in New York. It can be to a Major League Baseball game. It can be to an NBA playoff game or an upcoming concert in your area. You also can put down price alerts. So if you have an event you're looking at waiting to see where the prices go, SeatGeek can help you out with that. Then they show you the best seats available based on the price. So each seat is labeled with a big green circle for good or a small red circle for bad. And then finally, everything's always honest and upfront with SeatGeek. And that is the why you want to use them as well. No charges, no surprises at checkout, anything of the sort. So I'm going to give you $20 rebate back on your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, add the promo code LOCKED, and they'll send you $20. I really appreciate you doing this and using SeatGeek. I appreciate them sponsoring. And the best way you can show them support of this podcast is by using our sponsors. Thank you very much, and thanks to SeatGeek for the support. Download the app and use the promo code LOCKED. I guess I'd have to lean first First thought of it, I'd take this Warriors team. I think. Draymond, I, Draymond I, I, and Clay Draymond are better than Scotty and Kukoc or Scotty and Rodman. Yeah. I just I just think the Draymond Green's incredible for what he can do. Um yeah, I think I would take this Warriors team. Yeah, Tony Kukoc and Scotty Pippen. Scotty would Bogut's better than Longley or whomever they had in the center. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ron Harper, Clay Thompson <clears throat> is Scottie Pippen. Sean Livingston is probably Ron Harper at this point, or Harrison Barnes. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting debate, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, it, I, I might go with this Golden State team. Well, what I think, you know, if you think about it, the Scottie Pippen team without Jordan, made a run to the second round of the playoffs and lost. Uh, won whatever 50 game. This team would do the same, right? They, they, in all likelihood, if they played a regular season without staff, they're the third best team in the Western Conference behind San Antonio and Oklahoma City, and they would probably lose in the second round. That's probably accurate, yeah. And then you put a historically great player on each of them, and you have the greatest teams of all time. Yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, you know, going into Golden State this, at the end of the season and beating them in, uh, I can't recall, did that game go into overtime? I think it, I think it, I think it did. And, uh, gosh, it was just, I mean, that's what, that's what makes sports so great, you know? I mean, the Timberwolves had won, at that point, what, 27 games or something like that. And just, you know, but you, you throw all that stuff out when you tip it off. And, and these guys battle against each other and just, I mean, it was fun. It was I mean, that was that was about as much fun as you can have broadcasting a game. You know, the thought I had last night watching the press conference at 12.30, 1.30 your time, what I would do to get stranded at an airport or somewhere with Steve Kerr. Oh, yeah. His perspective on this has to just be 
remarkable. He's pretty open about going to the Jordan card. Like a lot of coaches, I think would be, I'm not willing to talk about Michael. Yes. And he's willing to do it. He's willing to kind of understand. And he's really clear in his conversation that these two are on the same level to what we're watching and comparing them. And his perspective from being here for these two players and on these two teams, and then you add his life perspective, it's just if there's a guy I'd like to spend you know, multiple hours with just yeah. picking his brain, that's the guy right now. Oh, having a steak, having a beer, and just hearing stories and picking his brain. I mean, not only does he talk about it willingly, but he does it endlessly. I mean, how many times has he probably been asked about it over the course of the last year? And he and he, he looks like he answers it every single time, which, uh, you know, like you said, a lot of coaches don't do that. So it's it's refreshing. You know, and I just think his his broadcasting background, too, is, is paid off there, too. And I mean, Doc Rivers gets it as well. Um, those guys, you know, obviously nobody enjoys doing it, meeting with the media and stuff, but those guys... You know, it's a necessary evil, and that those guys handle it the right way, and I think it uh, I think it shows. No, I, I actually wrote um, – I'm just talking with you now like your friend, but I guess I'll reveal this. I actually wrote a thank you letter to Steve this year via Raymond because I do my work before the game, and as you saw with your former head coach, nothing pisses me off more than when I do my job trying to do – what the, all they're asking you to do is to work. They belittle you if you don't work. So I work, and then I ask you a legitimate question, and you either decide you're going to put on your little pop routine or Sam Mitchell's going to be a jack, you know what, and mm-hmm. I can't. it pisses me off. Steve Kerr has been asked the same questions all year long. I didn't Absolutely. have anything original. I, I'm not that good. I don't have anything to Steve Kerr that he hasn't seen before. And he's so classy to take the time and answer every question, and he made our broadcast Ten times better yeah. because he legitimized what we were doing, and I, I couldn't have been more thankful to that fact. Yeah. In contrast to how often I try to do my job, make the broadcast better, and then run into some coach who decides he wants to be bigger than the game. Right, right, because what's our job? Our job is to tell the story of what's going on that night, and it does involve another team, and our only access um, normally to that other team is is before the game. And when you get people like Kerr who are willing to talk and willing to answer the same question time and time again, um, it, it helps us tell the story better. And, and, our, and our fans are able to understand that, and they hear from Steve Kerr, and you know, they've got a better sense of what they're going through and how that relates to your team. And you know, it, just, it all just flows from there. But it's just, you know, that's, it just helps our job when those guys um, you know, don't act like Steve Kerr does not, you know. Let's go to Spurs, Oklahoma City. We're recording this Tuesday afternoon. They'll play Game 5 tonight. You may be listening on Wednesday, so it's one of those weird concepts. But I'm, I'm really curious on this series because the biggest way to make an ass of yourself is to bet against the Spurs. Yeah. But every And so I listen to every podcast imaginable, um, went on a bunch of mammothly long bike rides and was listening. And, and I listened to the analysis of everybody, and it seemed to me like everyone was like, by the time I listened to everyone, I thought they were picking Oklahoma City, and then they would pick San Antonio. Yeah, because you, you felt like you had it. to, yeah. right? Right. But the fact is that Oklahoma City's just been better than San Antonio since the first game of the series. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and San Antonio to me looks wrong. I, well, they're they're not that pop 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 team right now. They're the ball's no, sticking they're, and their isolation. and yeah. they're everything it's, I wouldn't expect out of them. I know, and I think it started early on in those first two games when LaMarcus Aldridge went off. And, you know, it's great when a player gets, you know, 30, 40 points, but that's not San Antonio's way. I just kept thinking, as good as Aldridge was, especially in that game two, 
you know, that's that's just not their system. That's not their style. And I, and I don't I don't have the assist numbers in front of me, but I would bet that their assists are way down. I feel like they've just been a couple of passes offensively, but then it's a Kawhi post up or it's Aldridge, um, you know, with it with it holding and then taking a shot. I, I just feel like they've kind of gotten knocked out of their system a little bit. And every time I'm, I'm with you, like after game one, you thought, okay, wow, San Antonio is just. You know, you thought OKC would bounce back a little bit, but I still thought San Antonio was in complete control. And then the Thunder win game two, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, if they can play like that, you know, they've got a chance in the series. And then game three, you saw Tony Parker come alive, and you kind of got that feeling again, okay, San Antonio's right of the ship. They're going to be just fine. Uh, but then the way Oklahoma City played in game four, and, and with um, with Durant playing the way he did, my goodness. I mean, that's just – that's that's – you know, it just shows you one of the reasons why he's up for MVP every single year. He was just he was unstoppable, and he, David, he's doing that with the best defensive player against him. Kawhi Leonard couldn't stop him in that fourth quarter. Is this league sometimes? Is this getting so? Um, is this getting so sometimes simplistic that? And this sounds so stupid, but you've just got to have a guy on your roster who can drop forty, like. Dame dropped 40 tonight. Durant dropped 40. LaMarcus dropped 40. And that's an incredible concept, to drop 40 in a playoff game where the other team's entire game plan is probably to stop you. But is that truly what it gets down to? Atlanta clearly doesn't have a guy who can drop 40. No, they don't. He's got dismissed. Right? Cleveland has two. Uh, is Is there something to that that you just simply have to have a guy who can drop 40? I think you've at least got to have a guy who can... You know, with these playoffs, you've seen it in every series just about. Like, the the game bogs down. It ends up in one guy's hands, and they have to be able to make a play. And that's the guy that you're talking about that's scoring 40. I, I think I think you've got to have one of those guys. It's just, um, you're right, Atlanta didn't have that. Um, and I see that, that, that in that Heat series, Dwayne Wade just got the ball in his hands just all the time in the fourth um, in the fourth quarters and those overtimes, he's just and he's playing incredibly. But I really like the way, actually, with the way if they play Wade off the ball and have Dragic bring it up, I kind of like the way that was going in one of the games I saw. As soon as Wade came in, everything switched and their offense just bogged down. But I think you do have to have one of those guys you can go to um, when things bog down because I think everything bogs down when when defense is so heightened in the playoffs. But if you watch the fourth quarter last night. Both Portland and Golden State continued to run their motion for the most part. Did they? Yeah. I mean, if you go back, if you get a chance, I know you were asleep as money, but I don't know if it's because they have such trust in their system, the ball's going to get back into the right guy's hands. I mean, the only explanation of just this bog down one on one, I talked about this with the coach earlier, is this idea that you are just so scared the ball's going to end up in the wrong guy's hands. And, yeah. and, but can't you run a system that you know is going to get the ball to at least, I don't know, I watch Portland and they're still running. I mean, both Portland and Golden State do something similar. They're able yeah. to run action on both sides of the floor while you're waiting at the top with yeah. the ball. And that's unique to them, and they're able to do it late in games. And that was a little, I, I would say one thing about that series is that it's just a little bit different style. I mean, it's more up and down. What was, I mean, the final score was what, 130 something, 125 or 132, 125. So, I mean, you, you are playing a more open kind of style, but, uh, you're right. Those offenses do both move the ball. And, and I just think, I just think Portland's been incredible how far they've gotten to, with, with the, with the sort of ragtag team that they've got. I mean, McCullum and, and, and Lillard have been incredible this year and the confidence 
that Terry Stotts has put in C.J. McCollum and the way Lillard has brought him along is just incredible. I mean, that's he was you know the runaway winner for the for the most improved player, and I, I certainly voted for him too. He was just I just think uh, that guy's just taken the next step. I mean, he's, he just he just took three steps in one season. I think you got that vote wrong, by the way. What most improved? Yeah. Why? Who you got? Steph Curry. Yeah, I couldn't go that route. I think I put him second, actually. Actually, I have to go back and check. I can't recall. Yeah, Steph, I, we've never I had mean, an, MV, we've never had an MVP ever increase his scoring average more or his efficiency. I, I know, I know. Like I really do. I really, really strongly believe. Like Steph Curry was unquestionably the most improved player in the league. Yeah, it just goes. I think it goes against the norm um, of what we've all been voting for for so many years that it's it it always goes to a guy, a younger guy who's made this jump. Um, but you're, it's hard to argue. You're right. I mean, Steph has made an incredible, incredible jump from last year. All right, so let's go to the Western Conference for a second because we've been and into your team a little bit in the whole conference. So we've been talking and we've talked about Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, and they're all predominant wing players, right? Durant will post a little, Russell will post a little bit, really, right? Clay Thompson. And yet the three best and, may, and arguably – depending on your viewpoint of Andre Drummond, the four best, or Hassan Whiteside, young bigs, and maybe even five best, young bigs are in the Western Conference. None of them made the playoffs. Carl Anthony Towns on your team. DeMarcus Cousins, however you view him, his talent is is there. Uh, Anthony Davis. Yep. Derek Favors is still 25 years old. And Rudy Gobert depending on whether he becomes Dikembe Mutombo or wherever, may end up in that conversation. Now, Drummond right. and White's... Drummond and but, but what... So what happens with these particularly Davis, Towns, Cousins, which are these cornerstone pieces of these non-playoff teams rising up in a league where Damian Lillard and Steph Curry are dominating? Yeah. We had that... You know, you see that issue come up when, especially when Carl Anthony Towns this year was having a great game. We get to the fourth quarter, tight game, and he doesn't get the ball. It ends up in the guards' hands. It's Wiggins. It was Levine. It was, um, you know, whoever, whoever was out there. It's, it's, it's tough to kick that mindset in that, hey, we've got to get him a touch. And it's funny, the Wolves on the final uh, road game, they were in Portland, had a lead, blew it. Gave up a four-point play to Damian Lillard with like 30 seconds left, and then we had uh, with 15 seconds left, and then there was one final shot. And I really thought that the Wolves kind of outsmarted Stotts and the Blazers by inbounding the ball right to Carl Anthony Towns. All the numbers, the metrics in the fourth quarter and clutch time said that Wiggins would get the ball or it'd be coming to Rubio, and then Wiggins would be involved. It would be a wing player that would get it, and. The tallest player the Blazers had out on the floor was Al Farouk Aminu. He was matched up on Towns. And Towns got good position in the block. They fed it right to him and a quick jump hook to the baseline, and he scores it and wins the game. And that, you have to keep harping and reminding that you have to, if, if you're big as a, as a guy like that, a Davis, a Towns, a Favors, you know, any of these guys, a Cousins, it's, it's hard to get them the ball because it's, it's the guards who have the ball in their hands, but, um, it has to be a mindset, I think, that you know those guys can't forget about the big, especially when they're having so much success. Do you think you can win with a big as your primary offensive player? I think you've got to have balance. 
You better have a guy on the wing that can, when things break down, it's those guys who have the ball in their hands. So I think you've got to have, you've got to have both. You've got to have a guy in, you don't have to have a guy inside, but, um, you'd like to have that both. I think the Timberwolves are in good shape there with Wiggins, with Wiggins and Towns. Really? If you get a bunch of number one picks in the draft, you think you're going to be all right, huh? I think we're eventually going to be all right. If we don't have David Kahn selecting them, we'll be just fine. <laughs> I'm sorry, was that out loud? Oh, no. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, I, I, watching that Toronto-Miami series, you know, before Valanchunas got hurt, I thought I thought Toronto just forgot about Valanchunas. And all of a sudden, he was a monster in one of those games. I can't remember what game it was, two or three. And they got him some touches. Yeah, he got some off the offensive glass. But you, you've, got to, you've got to remember that you've got a guy in there that can uh, that, that let's face it, it's going to have a higher percentage shot too than Lowry trying to go one on one. And what was up? What was up with Toronto's end of game plays? Dwayne Casey, I, I don't understand these end of game plays and end of regulation. Just well, mind boggling. Doesn't that doesn't that bother you at the end of a game, David? When you just have one guy bring it up, burn the clock down to four seconds, and then takes an off balance twenty nine footer. Unless you're Steph Curry, uh, there's got to be a better way. I keep trying to figure it out. So. One is you're not running the pick and roll because you don't want to bring up big to come up and trap Lowry. Right. Two, you're not running any motion because you must not believe your team will get the ball. Like if the ball ever touches DeRozan's hands, he's not giving it up. You must have, you must have some black hole that you don't trust. So you're not willing to move the ball. And then the third angle must be you're not running any same size pick and roll because you don't believe, because you don't want the switch. I will say this. I was watching. There were some things going on in that series where Josh Richardson was guarding someone clearly for the purpose of switching onto Lowry. Gotcha. And so that they would rather have Dragic guarding Lowry than Josh Richardson. Hmm. And Wade was being hidden on Terrence, you know, Damari Carroll, whoever else was in the game. And you just. I mean, the one thing, and I have, you know, it's it's bad. Toronto's end of game is bad. And I'm a big Dwayne Casey fan, so it hurts me. Yeah, I know. Uh, but the one explanation I might have is if you just start to walk through his other options and they're, they've got problems, right? If you if yeah. you bring Lowry, Patterson, Valanchunas up on the pick, Norman Powell, they're going to trap the ball. And now it's out of Lowry's hands, and Damari's not a very good dribbler passer. Powell's okay, Patterson's not, Valanchunas is not. I mean, I think it might stem back to why you passing bigs are so important in this league. Yeah, and I guess I would argue if you don't trust your team to be able to run a play at the end of a game with a game on the line in the postseason, I, I just don't know how far you can go. That that would that I think that speaks volumes to where a team is at. You know, if you don't, I understand if Curry's one thing, LeBron James is one thing. Uh, probably Westbrook and Durant. You know, you could get away with that. But if you're, if you're Toronto, I think you have to have trust in your system to be able to run a play to get off at least a better percentage chance to win a game. You got a chance to win a playoff game, um, and they got lucky in game two because they they won in overtime. Um, it did not cost them. It did cost them. Let's see, game four, right? Because they lost in overtime. Yeah. Miami won that one. Yeah. Um, so it's just, I, I just think that's. That's if you don't have trust to run a, a play in that type of situation. Trust your team. I just think that 
eventually you're not going to go very far in the postseason. It's com- it's complicated though. So what Portland and Golden State are doing are beautiful, and you watch you're going to see this. You'll see this hammer play. They ran out of a timeout for Harrison Barnes for a for a three that's so gorgeous, and all the movement and the various picks. And and I'm a big believer in it. I I think the 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 most interesting stuff to me in the league is where you make defenders make multiple decisions on a play. Eventually, some will break down, and defenses are complicated. You know, if you're telling the the guys, okay, we're switching one through four, five, you're not switching, and then you run a four, five interchange. Now those right. two guys are like, wait a sec, we usually switch big to big. Do we switch this? We're not switching. Like, And then maybe they do switch, and now the five is on the four, and you're on right. a pick and roll, and he's thinking, wait a sec, we're switching one through four, but I'm a five, but now I'm guarding a four. You're just making a bunch of guys make quick decisions. I think that's yes. so much of a better way to do things. But on the other end, one of the most beautiful late-game plays of the year in the playoffs was Dwayne Wade at the top. Started left, right to left off a white side pick, came back right to left, white side rolls down the left side. Kyle Lowry has to come off Drogic in the corner to help on that roll, and Wade bullets a pass to the yeah. left corner to Drogic for a three. It's such a basic play. It's a flip pick. But at least got you've got multiple you got some things, at least you're making them do. So I yes. agree with you. But sometimes simple is still good. Yeah, it's true. I, I love the idea of making defenses think, too, because all it takes is one split second of a guy hesitating, and if you're on top of your game, that's enough to get you burned. And, and I, I love the idea of making the defense possibly make a mistake in that situation. And, and, this, and the Barnes play that people are going to be talking about that everyone's seeing, if you go back and watch it, Alan Crabb defends it perfectly and cuts off Clay Thompson on the corner, which is really the design part of the play. Damian Lillard knows the play. So trying to help out Crab, he goes to cut off the same passing lane, leaving Barnes open. Mm. I mean, he really, it's hard to criticize Lillard. He basically did the right thing. He knew the play, right. but he, but it left a guy open. And I think that's, that's to the point of what we're talking about. Yeah, that's the chess, that's the chess game. That's that. I mean, that's what's so much fun about, I mean, end of game situations where everything is so heightened and everything is on the line. It's just, uh, you know, I mentioned Dwayne Wade. Have you been impressed with, Seeing him, I, we only see them twice a year, and you know, I get, I, I felt like Wade just kind of was, either you know, he coasts a lot during the season. I think it's safe to say, but the way he's played in the postseason, I mean, it's been fun watching him turn back the clock. Well, yes, and it's clearly coast. And the other thing that I think is going to be difficult for your team, and it's difficult for our, my team, it's so clear he has an understanding of a playoff game. It's yeah. so. Uh, I mean, he took over the last five minutes last night. I, it's amazing. With, with an aggressiveness and a fearlessness of a guy who's done it a ton of times. I don't yep. care how good Andrew Wiggins is. I don't care how good Gordon Hayward is. I don't care how good Carl Anthony Towns is. None of them would ever take a game in the final no. five minutes the way Dwayne Wade did last night in, for yep. another five or six years. They just won't do it. You just, right. it's, not, it's, it's an unnatural thing unless you've been there. Yeah. No, it's, it's so true. And he was just, I mean, I, I just love the way. He he took control of it, and if it wasn't there the first time, he'd back it out. He'd try it again, back it out. He'd wait for his moments. And how many times did he get to the rim when everybody knows he's trying to get to the rim? And, and when and the, when the pass was needed to be made, he made it. You know, it's just he, he's just um, it, it, he's something special. That's uh, that was it was it's been awfully fun to watch him. Not only how about that uh, Charlotte series too, in that game six. Oh. I mean, he was just on. For, the guy doesn't hit a three since December, and then he comes up with two monster ones with a game on the line in the fourth quarter uh, facing, let's see, they were facing elimination, right? Right. You've got to have, it, it comes oh. to two things. 
you Unbelievable. Got, you got to have experience, and yep. you have to have a special dude. Yeah. A really, I mean, not sort of special. No. Like, like Carl Anthony Towns is showing the signs, at least I want to know from your point, watching him every day, of that he's got the, got the, the game to be that special. But, yeah. like, that's a lot still to ask. And that's probably yeah. a few years down the road. But it's, yeah. I mean, that you have to have such an unbelievably special guy. Al Horford's really good. Paul, West, uh, Paul Westphal, Paul Millsap is terrific. They're not special. Right, right. And it's just the, the confidence level to, to, I mean, just the, the, the right word is special. Yeah, the confidence to take over the game and to, carry that team and to make all the right decisions. And plus, boy, when, man, when he gets after it defensively, I mean, I know he got away with a foul late in one of those, uh, I don't know if it was this series or the Charlotte series, but boy, when Dwayne Wade's active defensively, I mean, there's, there's, he is, he's, he's, um, he's incredible. He's just incredible. This is, I got a WNBA story to this. Uh, yeah. uh, this was from uh, Ann Donovan, was our WNBA coach in Seattle. And we had a young team at the time, hadn't won a championship, hadn't, the Storm hadn't won a championship yet. And I, and I kind of said, like, what's got to happen? Because you know what? One of these women have to be willing to get on the bus and just be F you, F you, F you. I'm going to win these damn games. And if they do it, they got to be able to get on the bus and be like, I want it. And they got to be at times be willing to get on the bus and be like, I didn't. Screw you for looking at me right now because I'm going to win these. And that's where Dwayne Wade is. Like, he yeah. didn't care getting on the bus. If, he, if he'd missed those shots, he would have got on the bus that night and been like, you know what, guys? I'm sorry, but you're riding with me. Right. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's a, I think, uh, that's a you know, hard it, level to get to. Oh, there's no question. I, I don't know if, you know, and for some players, I, I think you're right. I don't think it's just you can get to that level through experience. I mean, I think it's within you um, when you get into this league. And I think Dwayne Wade has had that. Um, and obviously there's some other guys that have that, but you're, yeah, you're right. I don't think Al Horford will ever get to a point where he's that guy or, or even Paul Millsap. Still very good players, but getting to that special level, that's, um, that's rare. And talking about your two guys, I'll be surprised if Wiggins gets to that level from the two years of interaction with him, whereas the quote from Carl Anthony Towns that last year, two years ago in Kentucky, was the first time he'd ever finished a season with a loss in his yeah. life. Makes you think, oh, maybe he has that. Wade clearly had it at Marquette. Yeah, I think um, it'll be interesting to see if Towns can get to that. I, I mean, there's just, I mean, he'll be named Rookie of the, of the Year later this week, and um, there's his rookie season was just so consistently good. And actually, for the second straight year, Wiggins really didn't have these big ups and downs that you see oftentimes with rookies. Uh, both of them were incredibly consistent the entire year, and I just thought Towns just, I, I thought he was a beast. And I, I really think, um, you know, they wanted to work him, ramp his minutes up, which I think cost the Timberwolves some games over the first half of the season. But um, it may have served him well because there was no rookie wall that he hit, and if he did, he just busted right through it. Um, he's just a beast inside. And, David, you look at his shot chart. It's just, I can, I'll bring it up like every week or so just to look at it. He's incredible. I mean, he's in the, he's in the top five. He was the number one in the league um, on, on long twos this year. His three-point shooting progressed nicely, finished around 35% somewhere in there. But his shot chart is just, I mean, for a guy who's only, what, 20 years old, um, incredible. One year in the league, and he's already doing things that's taken, you know, other guys five, six, seven years to do. He's already, he's already gotten those. And I think now when you bring in um, Thibodeau, it's, it's been hard 
that's the big debate in Minnesota is when Tom Thibodeau came in. Um, it's Tom Thibodeau, but if you say Tibbs, then Tibbs is okay. <laughs> but, you bring the, but you put the H on the full name if you say the if full name. And I asked him point blank. I said, hey, how do you want your name to be known? He's like, Thibodeau. And so, all right. all right, it's Thibodeau, even though it sounds really strange to say, and I'm going to have a tough time. But if, if that's the way Tibbs wants it, hey, I'm going Tibbs can have so anyway, he comes in, and what he did with Chicago defensively and turning Joe Noah into a defensive player of the year, I mean, man, if, if Towns, and I think Towns certainly will buy in to this system, I mean, he is poised for a just a huge, huge career. Let me wrap this up with you with a little bit of a Utah-Minnesota parallel. Um, I don't know that Dante Exum will ever have the vision that Ricky Rubio has, but I think every mm-hmm. other aspect of their game will be very similar. Mm-hmm. Size. Uh, control of teams, defensive influence. What is it that allows Rubio to have such an incredibly positive impact on games, despite not being an elite shooter? I think I think you go back to I, I watch a lot of soccer and international soccer, and the way you know if you ever seen Barcelona play soccer, um, it is a very uh, and, and really the Spanish national basketball team is like this too. It's a close knit group. There's camaraderie. There is um, you know, there's this tightness within that team. And the way Barcelona plays soccer, it's just a sharing of the basketball. It's seeing things, um, you know, always looking one step ahead. And I think Ricky has got a lot of that that he brings to the basketball floor. And he just he's just able to see the floor differently than other guys. And I just, yeah, I remember when he came into the league, you know, but yeah, when you grab a defensive rebound, your team's bringing it up, you got a quick second or two probably to look down at your notes um, and think about something if you're, look, you're looking for a particular stat on something. But when Ricky has the ball, I learned very quickly, it took about a game or two, you can never look down when he's got the ball. I mean, he was zipping passes left and right. And while I feel like some of those highlight passes have, have taken a dip over the last few years, um, he still is just, he, he's, he makes your guys better when they're on the floor, when he's on the floor. And um, a lot of that stems from his defense, too, because he's a very good defensive player. Um, he's able to draw. I, I, I kept track of, um, if you go to NBA Minor, I don't know if you ever go to that site, but they keep track of sort of random things like um, offensive fouls drawn. And, and Ricky was right up there second in the league behind Ursan Ilyasova, um, which is a, you know, a stat that probably should get some more credit because it, it's, it's creating a turnover. It's pre- preventing the other team from having a possession. Um, and it really doesn't go down as a steal. It doesn't go down as a... Um, you know, it doesn't really fit the normal category, but it's a pretty important play. Um, and so when you're already second in the league in steals and then you're second in the league in offensive fouls drawn, um, you, you bring so much value defensively. Interesting. And now he has a defensive coach. And now he's got a defensive coach, which I think is really just going to string everything together. I, I mean, it's I, I am so looking forward. You know, if you look at you've, – you've talked about this. Defensive effective field goal percentage maybe the biggest – defensive stat there is and we have the Timberwolves have ranked in the bottom five for for the last in my nine years that I've been here you when the game's on the line we could not get a stop stop someone from scoring the basketball and um, for the first time you're going to have a coach who's going to be that's his that's his um, calling card is a defensive end and his teams have been extremely good um, at defensive effective field goal percentage so I'm just I'm so looking forward to playing uh, calling good defense—it's it, something I'm unfamiliar with. So it, it's going to be—it's going to be fun. 
That is Alan Horton. You can follow him at Wolves Radio on Twitter. And this has been another edition of Locked on the NBA. Brought to you by SeatGeek. Go to the app, download the SeatGeek app, and use the promo code LOCKED to get your $20 back off your first purchase. This has been Locked on the NBA.